Now, as you know, I had a sabbatical and I spent several weeks in Colorado. And while I was there, I, I just read. I read profusely about all kinds of things. I, I read self-help books, okay? And one of the self-help books sa- stated that if, if I have desire and determination, I can become anything that I want. So, I hate to tell you this, but this is my last Sunday, as being the senior pastor at LifePoint Church, okay? Uh, I've decided I am I've always wanted to be a rock star, so I'm going to be a rock star, okay? All right, I'm jamming for Jesus. Wow, you know. Geezer, ge- oh, Weezer, I mean, okay. Now, I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, George, did you say Colorado? Did, did you eat some brownies while you were there? I mean, did you smoke anything? Folks, it would be absolutely ridiculous for me to even aspire to be a musician of any kind for a number of reasons. One is that I am not physically built like a rock star. I do not have long hair like Scott Stein. I call him long hair, okay? Or Rob Urbanic. Take a look at this of Rob Urbanic up here. Look at this. Whoa. No wonder Rebecca fell for him, okay? I am not physically built to be a rock star. I am not gifted to be a rock star. As you know, I cannot keep a beat. I don't know anything about rhythm. On top of that, I am not, um, I don't have the skills. I don't know the difference between A, B, C, D, E, F, G, scales, notes, whatever. Just because I have a desire To be a rock star doesn't mean that I should attempt to be a rock star. I talk with people all the time who say things like this. You know what? I'm going to start a pie shop. So really, why is that? Because I like to make and eat pies. No kidding. (laughs) Folks, it's two different things, is it not? To, To make and eat pies and to start a business. It takes more than desire. It takes more than determination to be successful in life. The Bible teaches in Ecclesiastes 10.10, if the ax is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is required, but skill will bring success. If you want to have a successful life, and fulfill the very purpose for which God has created you. Folks, it takes more than desire and determination. It takes more than prayer. And I'm a pastor. It takes more than prayer. You could be the most spiritual person here on earth. It takes more than prayer. It takes more than desire and determination. The Bible says that you and I have to have the right tools and that we have to have the right skills, that skills bring success. Now, the good news is that skills can be learned. And today, I'm going to give you the second skill that you need to be successful, to fulfill the very purpose for which God has created you. And it is this. It is knowing what is important and knowing what isn't important. It is knowing what matters and it is knowing what doesn't matter. This is an extremely important skill to know. To be able to look at something and know this is important. This is not important. This is valuable. 
This is not valuable. This needs my attention. This does not need my attention. This matters, and this doesn't matter. You see, people of purpose know what to focus on, do they not? The Apostle Paul said, this one thing I do, not these hundred things I dabble in. You have to learn this skill to be successful at work, at home, in life, to fulfill the very purpose for which God has created you. Have you noticed that you do not have time for everything? You don't. Either do I. The good news is God doesn't expect us to do everything. God has called you to, God has created you and called you to do what God has called you to do. And he has created you for five purposes. And one of those is your primary purpose. Do you know what it is? If you don't, you will not live a fulfilled and fruitful life, guaranteed. That is why you don't want to miss the series that I'm going to start September 9th. That is why I want to encourage you, pull this out. Put your name on it. We will get you into group. Six weeks. Anybody can endure anybody for six weeks, okay? Because what God has called you to do, he has gifted you to do. And what he has gifted you to do, he has shaped you to do. And he has shaped you for one purpose. Five, but one primarily. Now, you can do anything that you want with your life. In fact, Paul even talks about this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. What does that mean? It just means you can do anything that you want with your life. God is not gonna force you to do anything with your life. You can waste your life. You can spend your life, or you can invest your life. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Meaning, some things aren't necessarily wrong that you and I do. They're just not necessary. And so often in life, what we do is we give first-class allegiance to a second-class cause. We climb up some ladder of success and get to the top, and we discover that when we get there, it's leaning against the wrong building. And unfortunately, that happens at the end of our life. And there isn't time to remake it up. Selection is the key to success. And selection can be learned. The better you get at selection and prioritizing what matters and what doesn't matter, the more effective you will be as a parent, as a partner, as a person, okay? The more effective you'll be. Now it's interesting. Most people, in their minds, have what I would call four folders. Folder number one are the things that God wants us to do or wants me to do. Folder number two are the things that the people I love want me to do. Folder number three are the things that I want to do. And then folder number four are the things that everybody else wants me to do. Now, I would have you know that all four of those folders are legitimate folders. There's nothing wrong with any of them, even the things I want to do for me, okay? But let me ask you this. Which of these four folders has the most stuff in it? What God wants you to do, what 
you, what people that you love want you to do, what, what you want to do, or what other people want you to do. It's obviously number four, isn't it? Everybody else has all kinds of things they want you to do, and they're shoving it in that folder. But let me ask you this. Which of those four folders is the least important? Number four. But you have to know. You have to know what God wants you to do. You have to know what the people you love want you to do. You have to know what you want to do. You have to know what everybody else wants you to do. And that takes discernment. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about how to discover what matters and what doesn't matter, what's valuable and what is not valuable, what, what you and I need to give concern to and what you and I should not give concern to. I want to talk about you clarifying your values because you have values. In fact, you are operating on values all the time. Every single time you make a decision, you're making that decision based on unspoken values that you have in your mind. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? Am I going to spend my time here or am I going to spend my time there? Am I going to buy this or am I going to buy that? Every time you make a decision, you are making that decision on an unspoken value that you have in your mind. The challenge is is that most people have never figured out what those values are. They haven't identified them. And they don't know where they come from. And they don't know if they're valid or not. And so a secret of fulfilling the very purpose for which you have been created is to clarify your values. Your values affect your life far more than you realize. They will determine your salvation. And of course, as a pastor, I should say that, right? (laughs) Absolutely, they do. It does. But it does far more than that. It it will affect your success, and it will affect your stress. Most people do not realize that the stress that they are experiencing in their life could be caused by their values. I am working on this right now. In fact, I'm going to do a a, a series on managing stress. And here's four thoughts. Will you write this down? I'm going to do it in January, I think. Unclear values cause confusion. Conflicting values cause tension. False values creates deception. And wrong values creates dysfunction. Your values determine your destiny far more than what you realize. And we're going to take a look at that in January. But today, I want to talk about the values that will help you be successful. I want to do this by raising four questions to help you evaluate your values. And when I say evaluate, I mean to judge your values because you have values. You're operating off of them right now. But I want to raise four questions that are going to determine your destiny. And the first question that you need to ask yourself To know what matters and what doesn't matter is this. Who's going to be my authority? In other words, where am I going to get my values? 
There are a lot of different sources on which you can determine what values you're going to build your life on. You can pick up those values from your parents. You can pick them up from a partner. You can pick them up from books. Folks, you can pick them up from movies. In fact, media today is the number one source of values for this generation growing up. Have you noticed how people are glued to their, now their cell phones, and they're watching, I don't know, Hulu, Hulu, whatever, Netflix. I mean, today you hear people saying, I've, I'm taking my whole weekend, and I'm binging, and I'm watching this series I haven't watched in five weeks, and I'm just going to get it all caught up. Media today is the number one source of values for this generation that's growing up. And so you have to decide what's going to be the source of your values. Now, this is important because a poor source will give you poor values. Does that make sense? The source determines the quality. This is a James 3.11 principle where James talks about a, 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 a spring. It can't bring forth bitter water and sweet water at the same time. The source determines the quality. And so you and I need to give attention to who our source is. Folks, I could go down to a street corner where drugs are being sold, and I could get my values from there. But it'd be a poor source, wouldn't it? And so the first step to succeed in life, to really fulfill the purpose for which God created you, is you have to decide where you're going to get those values, and there are only three options. You can get them from yourself. I can get them from myself, and a lot of people do that, okay? They, you hear them say, well, well, I think. Well, I've always thought. Well, I feel. Well, how's your thinking working for you right now? Do all your plans come to pass? Take a look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The human mind is the most deceitful of all things. It is incurable. No one can understand how deceitful it really is. Will you circle the word deceitful? That means to lead in the wrong direction. Does your mind ever do that? Well, sure it does, all the time. In the last 10 years, there's been all kinds of brain research done. And what they have discovered is that your perceptions of life are more often wrong than right. In other words, your brain lies to you. And your brain lies to you all the time. It lies to you about how you perceive yourself. I did a whole series on mental health about that. Your brain lies to you how you perceive people, how you perceive problems, how you perceive relationships, how you perceive uh, 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 your money. Just because you perceive something to be true, guess what? Doesn't mean that it is. And though this is kind of relatively new research, this truth, honestly, Jeremiah was talking about it thousands of years ago. So ourselves as a source of, of truth of for values is often unreliable. We misjudge things all the time. 
We misjudge people, we misjudge events, we misjudge pain, we misjudge problems, we misjudge people's motives. So will you write this down? Your perceptions tell you more about you than they do about others. So if the grid in my mind to judge what's right or wrong, what matters, what doesn't matter, what's valuable, what's not valuable, is off, I am building my life on sinking sand. And there's a whole story about that in the Bible. Notice what Solomon said thousands of years ago. Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to humans, but in the end, it leads to death. So the first possibility is myself. The second possibility is the world. And most of the time, people get their values from the world. In other words, they ask themselves this question. What does everybody else think? And if they think it matters, then guess what? It must matter. Have you noticed how many polls are out there today? Polls about everything. And they use those polls to determine morality instead of looking towards ethics, which is a law above the law. Well, 60% of people think this is right, so guess what? It must be right. This is the world's value system. Whatever the world thinks is right, it must be right. It must matter. Notice what God says in 1 John 2. Don't love what the world offers and values. Those who love the world don't have the Father's love in them. For what the world values physical gratification, greed, and prideful self-centered lifestyles does not come from God, our Father. Now that portion of scripture shows us three of the world's value systems, and I want you to write these down. If you're going to base your values on what culture says, here's what you're gonna get. The first one it's mentioned is this, you're going to value looking good. Appearance. That is why beauty aids is a billion-dollar industry, okay? I used to work for a chemical company called Pfizer, and we often think of them just producing, I don't know, uh, prescriptions and medications, but they were big into cosmetics, and it was their most profitable division. But the truth is, most of us aren't beautiful people, are we? We don't fall into that category. We're not as pretty as the movie stars. We'll never get our face, okay, on on People magazine. So guess what? We're not as valuable as the cheerleaders or as the prom queen or as the Hulk like Pastor George. (laughs) The Bible says whatever you do, don't build your, your value on that. The second value that the world esteems is feeling good. This is all around pleasure. And mostly, I would say, around sex. Because sex sells, does it not? Hey, one of the first rules of marketing, sex. Sex sells, okay? You and I watch TV all the time, and sex sells. One that I laugh at the most, my wife and I look at this, this is so funny. It's, it's two people in a tub. Who in the world would be out in the middle of the wilderness in a tub, Okay? Looking at the sunset, hello. Boy, they must have some kind of experience. (laughs) I gotta have that experience, okay? Why do they show that thing? Because it's the second value of the world. I just wanna have pleasure. Now understand something. If you say, all I want out of life is to be happy, 
you've fallen into the world's value system. Like I said earlier, the largest industry in our culture is the entertainment industry. Why? Because people just want to feel good. And most of the world is watching it 24-7. So the world system is, is about looking good and feeling good. And then the third one is about having the goods. I mean, if I have the goods, well, guess what? I must be good. And if I look good and I feel good and I have the goods, then I must be very, very, very good. And even you and I as Christians can fall into this. As Christians, we can start to believe that the whole purpose in life is to look good, to feel good, and to have the goods. And folks, that's not the purpose for which God created you. That is not the purpose at all. You need to know the five things that God created you for. And then you need to discover that primary one out of those five. I guarantee you this. When you do, you come to this series and you get in a small group, I'm going to help you to discover what your purpose is. Because it'll help you be fulfilled. And it'll help you be fruitful. Now notice what God says about appearance. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says this about pleasure. Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25. The pleasures of sin only last for a short time. They are here today and gone tomorrow. God says this about materialism. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And so the first question you ask yourself is who's going to be my authority? Is it going to be myself, me, myself, and I? Is it going to be the world, looking good, feeling good, and have the goods? Or the third option is this, God's word. Notice what it says in John 8, 31. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now the second question you ask yourself to clarify your values is this, what's going to last the longest? Now this question too is important. If you're going to build your life on some kind of foundation, if you do, you wanna make sure that that foundation is gonna last a long time. Cheryl and I have built several different homes over the years. And every time they build it, we go and we pray for the land. And then as they lay that foundation, we pray for that foundation. In fact, I just dedicated a home, mm, I think a couple of days ago, and I prayed for the foundation, I prayed for the structure, I prayed for the roof, and I prayed for air conditioning. I figured, you got those four covers, you're going to have a pretty good house, right? But the foundation is the most important of all. Now, let me be honest with you. We rarely evaluate our values or our perceptions about life until we are in a crisis. It is only after we are in deep doo-doo, only after we are in deep, deep pain that we evaluate what life is all about. We begin to question, is life really about looking good? Is it really about feeling good? Is it really about having the goods? Is it possible that there is something else out there? Could I be deceived? You see, we don't change when we see the light. 
We like to think that. We change when we feel the heat. When things are going great, we seldom stop to ask ourselves, is this a dead end? Where is this heading? Am I seeing things correctly? Am I deceiving myself? No, folks, it's only after our marriages begin to fail, right? It's only after our kids go out into left field. It's only when our health, we have a health crisis that we begin to question our values. Now, we do so because one of the greatest weaknesses of our culture today is short-term thinking. Our culture teaches us all that matters is the here and now. It it doesn't matter what's going to happen next year. It doesn't matter what's going to happen 100 years. It doesn't matter what's going to happen with the next generation. And it certainly isn't going to matter what eternity in heaven is all about. All that matters right now is the here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die, okay? But here's what the Bible says. The world and its desires will pass away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. To live for the here and now is being extremely short-sighted. Now, when I was in Colorado, I gave some thought about temptation. And it wasn't because I saw a lot of green crosses out there, okay? But as I was thinking about temptation, I came up with this insight. And this insight is, applies to whatever temptation you might have. And it is this, that temptation is not between what is right and what is wrong. A lot of times we think that. That's not what temptation is about. The the temptation is about the dilemma between now and later. Am I going to do what God has told me to do and enjoy the benefits later? Or am I going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, where I want to do it, and enjoy the benefits now? And this is true with our money. It is true with our time. It is true with our talents. It is true with our treasures. It is true with our words. It is true with our thoughts and our behavior. Temptation is always a dilemma between now or later. And so I have to ask the question, what's going to last the longest? Notice what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. We focus our attention not on what we can see around us, but on what we cannot see with our eyes. For everything that we see is temporary and will only last, will you circle this, a short time. But what is unseen is eternal and will, will you circle this, last forever. And so the first question I have to ask myself is, who's going to be my authority? Is it going to be me, myself, and I? Is it going to be the world looking good, feeling good, having the goods? Or is it going to be God's word? What's going to last the longest? Am I going to live for the now, or am I going to live for something that's going to last a little longer than that? The third question that you ask yourself to clarify your values, if you want your if you want to determine your destiny, is this, will I choose what's easy or what's best? Now, we face 
this question every single day in thousands of different ways. Will I choose what's easy or will I choose what's best? In other words, am I actually going to live what I believe? And living what I believe is called alignment. It is called integrity. Now, I know this is redundant, okay? But humor me, okay? Here's the question. Isn't it easier to do what's easy? Hello, little feedback. Okay, good. You're intelligent, highly intelligent people. Well, duh, Pastor George, I now know you have been eating some brownies in Colorado, okay? Of course it's easy. That's why they call it easy. You're right, it is. It's easier to do what's easy than to do what's right. And thousands of times a day, I get a choice between what's easy and what's right, what's best. When I do what's best, that's called alignment. That's called congruent. That's called integrity. Now, why do I say this? Because George Gallup discovered that the number one source of stress in America is incongruent values or lifestyle. What does that mean? It means that we're not living what we believe. We believe one thing, but we do something else. And again, James talks about this. When your mind has two value systems, it says you are unstable in all your ways. When you and I seek to live out two value systems, it creates stress and tension within us. And so I have to figure out what's easy and what's best. Now, I want to give four areas for you to consider of possibly making changes. Maybe you don't need to, but here's some possibilities. And the first area is this. Change what you watch and how much you watch TV. The average American who reaches the age of 65, which I am, and I consider myself an above average American, right? Will watch almost 10 years of TV. Can you believe that? Do you remember? Do you remember the guy who decided for 30 days he was going to eat at McDonald's, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The video or the movie was called Supersize Me, I think it's called, okay? And he ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 30 days at McDonald's. And as a result, he got sick, overweight, and he felt gross. What he was trying to prove was that while fast food is easy, it's not always the best. Folks, it's easy. Some of you right now are struggling in your relationships. Why? Because it's easy, isn't it, to sit down, click. Used to, you had to work for it. You had to get up, turn it on, <laughs> click, click, click. I don't like that channel. Get up. At least you got some exercise. Click, click, click. Now it's easy. Click, click, click. Click, click, click. And we all know there's just nothing worth watching, but we watch it while our marriages go to hell in a handbasket. 
So I challenge you to change what you watch and how much you watch. David said in Psalms 119, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Secondly, you may want to consider changing some of your friends. Your friends will either build you up or they will tear you down. And yes, we all need friends that we are influencing for Christ. But here is the thing. Who you run with dictates how you run the race. You may intend to run the race well, but if you have surrounded yourself with people who are not good for you, you will not run the race well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. And the guy who mentored me, my first mentor as I was in college after I gave my life to Christ says, George, choose your friends wisely. And if your kids graduate from high school and they send me thing, I give them a Bible and I give them a Starbucks card and then I write them three things. Choose your friends wisely because they will affect your life far more than what you realize. Moses said it like this, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And that's why at LifePoint we push small groups. You will be surprised if you just gave two hours. Will you please give two hours for six weeks to discover your purpose? I guarantee you, hanging with people, talking about that, will have a positive effect on your life. The third thing I would encourage you to consider possibly changing is how you treat people. Our world value system is this. Love things and use people. I think God would consider, have us to consider about loving people and using things. How? By serving them. Jesus said that the greatest amongst us will be the one who is the servant of all. And so I want to encourage you to serve. I have a whole person, full-time, on staff, Marty Martin, to help you discover a ministry that you can fulfill your purpose in. Think about Jesus' life for a moment. Here he is about ready to go to the cross. And what does he do? He puts a towel around his waist and he gets on his hands and knees and he washes dirty feet. He washes the disciples' feet. He washed Peter's feet who denied him. And he washed Judas's feet who betrayed him. And so you learn to serve those who are the least amongst us. And the last one I would say is this, change how you spend your money. And here's the question, how much of your money is spent selfishly? Or are you generous when you can? Just think about your money. Take a look at Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them in heaven where they will never lose their value. Now, folks, I understand it's tough to change. It really is. It's not easy. What's easy is to stay in your comfort zone, to do what you've always done and always get the same results. It's easy to do what feels right at the moment. But work at it. Do what's best. A long, long time ago in a far distant land, I decided to run a 10K. I wasn't stupid to run a half marathon or a full marathon. I knew that would kill me, okay? But I thought, a 10K, I can do that. And so I trained. And the day of the race, when the gun went off or whatever, my first mile was seven minutes. I go, yes, 
at the three mile mark, rigor mortis set in. And my mind was screaming at me, George, you are stupid. Why don't you stop? It would be easier. Give your body oxygen. And I saw people about that halfway mark stop. And they never finished the race. I saw a guy one mile from the finish line stop. And he didn't finish the race. While I was running, I just said, God, just help me to take baby steps. One step at a time. And I finished that race. It took me 72 minutes to run 6.2 miles, but I finished it. I want you to finish the race. I don't want you to stop. Oh, I need a break. I need to stretch. I need to catch my breath. As I like to say, don't retire. Re-enlist. Some of you are at the end, the end stage of the spectrum, and you still don't know your purpose in life. When are you going to take earnest effort and just take baby steps? Because you can get there and the rest of your life can be the best of your life. Yes, it's easier to be self-centered. It is easier to live by the world's value systems. It is easier to sit on your blessed assurance and let other people serve you. But you gotta ask the question, will I choose what's easy or will I choose what's best? The fourth and last question to clarify your values is this one, is it worth the price? Is it worth the price? The apostle Paul said, if all that we have is the here and now, we Christians should be the most pitied. Why did he say that? Because it is not easy to live with Christian values. Folks, it's a whole lot easier to live by the world's standards. And so the Bible says if you're a Christian, you got to ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Every time you do something, a price tag is being paid. Nothing is free in spite of what some may think. Every time you do, when you do this, you're choosing not to do something else. When you choose to buy something this, then you're choosing not to buy something else. Everything has a price. So I want to close by giving you a few verses and a discussion that Cheryl and I had face to face. When we were in Colorado, we discovered, because we've been empty nesters for about 12 years, maybe 15, and it's easy to just kind of drift, right? Come home, hey, how's it going? What was your day like? Fine. Typical guy, like it was yesterday, you know. Sit down in our easy chairs. Click. George, I'd like to talk to you. At the commercial. Okay, it's on mute. And so we had a discussion. We've been married 44 years. We'd like to make it to 45. And so I want to share a discussion that Cheryl and I had over dinner, face-to-face. We don't watch TV anymore. Okay. Come in, kiss you, let's have dinner, fix up, sit down. Knee to knee, face to face, let's talk. Here are the verses first. 
Matthew 16, 26 says, what profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? People are trading their souls for what I call drug, sex, and rock and roll. It's not worth it. Luke 16, 15, Jesus said, the things that are, are considered of great value by people are worth nothing in God's sight. Which is gonna matter more in eternity future, man's opinion or God's opinion? Mark 10, 31, Jesus said, many people who seem to be important now will be the least important then. I say this, whatever you do, don't try to be, be some kind of popular person in our culture because they are a hero one moment and they are a zero the next. The discussion that Cheryl and I had, I bring up not to say, hey, hooray for Pastor George, but rather that you might have a peek in at some of the things that Cheryl and I talk about that you might even raise in your relationships. And I would encourage you to do this. And the question that I raised with Cheryl was, what is the price that we've paid over the last almost 40 years of ministry? And what benefits do we see right now? I would encourage you to have that because I think sometimes we forget about the sacrifice, but we primarily forget about the benefit. And if we can focus the benefit, it stimulates us to love and good deeds. And so I broke them out. We have a whole list of things, but I broke them out into four. I just wanted to share four. One was this, a sacrifice to ourselves by allowing Jesus to be the Lord of our life, to become a Christian, and to be committed to the church. When we gave our lives to Christ and became Christians, that was cool in our family. Okay, Christian, yeah, that's, that's great. We're a Christian country. That's a good thing. But when we became committed to the church, we were ostracized. We would go to family dinners, and there'd be all the family. We're talking cousins, aunts, and uncles, and they were all there. And they would ask, hey, George, how you doing? Oh, doing fine. And that was it. And they'd just go to their corners with other people. And when it came for dinner time, all the adults, and we were 40 years old even then, all the adults would sit at one big table and Cheryl and I were sitting with our little second cousins in these little chairs. And they thought we were kooks. But about seven years ago, we had our cousins, our first cousins, start to call us. Aunts and uncles kind of passed away, but they started calling, George, you were right. One of them was a doctor. You're right, George. I'm giving my life away and doing medical missions trips. It's the way to do it. You bet, Jimmy. And then just a few weeks ago, I had a cousin call me. I said, George, I finally get it. I've given my life to Christ. It was worth, it was worth the price. Another one, sacrificing to grow. As our families were, as our kids were young, we said a no to a lot of pop TV and we spent more time around the dinner table talking about values and character. We memorized verses. We memorized the whole, uh, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And the benefit that we see was that today our kids are pretty godly. They're not perfect. They got Cheryl's genes in them, but they're pretty, they're pretty close. <laughs> I've even had employers call me 
and say, I don't know what you did with your kids, but you did it right. That's 40 years. A third one was sacrificing to serve. The first nine, seven to nine years of this church, yes, we were in Carlisle and then Schimmelfinnick Middle School, but Sunday through Saturday, all the meetings were at our house. And Cheryl and the kids would serve. We, would clean, we were constantly cleaning the house. My wife was constantly cleaning toilets. She's going to get a toilet crown when she gets to heaven, right? But was it worth it? I mean, we had meetings sometimes two, three times a week. We had Christmas parties, 100, 150 people going through our house, spilling things on our rug. When we sold it, there were still stains on that rug. Was it worth it, though? Absolutely. I'd do it all over again. And then the sacrifice, really kind of of yourself, to share your faith with others. You see, when we built phase one, I don't know, it cost us about a million bucks. And at that point in time, Cheryl and I made $60,000 a year, and we pledged $25,000 over three years to build phase one. I don't say that to brag. That was a cost that we shared. And as we got into the little house, we were able to hire the first full-time youth student pastor. Some of you may remember, Steve Lucas. And he took the kids on their first missions trip to Mexico. There were no pastoral discounts then. It was 400 bucks a kid. And it cost Cheryl and I $1,200 to send our kids on top of the pledge that we were in at that time. Benefit was immediate. One was that we had one week without the kids. <laughs> Instant benefit. Oh, thank you, God. But today, long term, you will see that my kids have a heart for the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless. Probably the pinnacle is David, who's living in an inner city right now. The Apostle Paul said this. I once thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may have him. When I was a young Christian, I read a book. I read a lot of biographies back then. One of them was on Jim Elliott, and Jim Elliott said it like this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Success does not come through the world's value system, looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. Success comes as you and I build our lives on God's value system. And what you and I do out of love, based on God's value system, will last forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word that is just chock full of principles that, that are there to help us be successful 
and less stressful and to ultimately have salvation in you. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you that you have a dream, a calling, a vision for our life. We thank you for the tools that you've given us, your word. And we thank you for the skills that we can acquire. Knowing how to deal with negative people in our life because they're bummers. Of knowing what's important and what's not important. God, help us to be those who run your race. That don't retire, but re-enlist. Making the rest of our life the best of our life. Giving ourselves one, one thing, one step at a time towards the finish line so that we might hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. This morning, I don't know where you're at spiritually, but you can't even begin to build a successful, sustainable life without Jesus Christ being at the very core of it. And so if you haven't done that, would you do that? Would you just simply say in your heart these simple words, God, I admit I've blown it. But today, I believe Jesus Christ is my Savior, and he's my Lord, and I want to understand his instruction. And so I invite him into my life, into the center of my being. And if you prayed that prayer, simple as it was, God heard you, would you just let me know? On your communication card, would you just check the appropriate box on the back? Give me your email so I can just email you some stuff that'll help you understand what you've done. So God, we thank you. We thank you that you're for us and not against us. In your son's name we pray, amen.